0: Welcome to Coffee Chat with Camille. The topic of our uh, show today is the unbearable pain of losing a child with author Carol Suski. And uh, let me read it a little bit about her. Carol is a mother of two daughters and grandmother of two granddaughters. But she's also a victim of the worst loss a person can have. She is a parent who lost her child and experienced the mental and physical pain of grief. Through devotion to faith, she reached out to God to help survive. Facts about our author, Carol. She currently resides in Florida with her husband, Dr. Dennis Slusky. I hope I'm not uh, messing up the last name, but I'll ask her. And after 30 years. Carol had a calling to share her journey of learning how to live with peace and well-being. Her story will make you cry, laugh, connect, understand, learn, sympathize, appreciate, and believe in hope. Over the course of the years, she's gathered her expertise, knowledge, and talent and put it to use for her recovery and to benefit others she loves professionally. Carol is an accomplished entrepreneur in business and creative arts. Okay, and then let me see. Okay, let me go ahead and begin our interview. Okay, because Carol is holding on the line. Let's see. Hello, Carol. Welcome.
1: Hello, Camille, for inviting hi. me on. Oh, hi.
0: You're welcome. It's such a pleasure. I'm so happy to have you here. And I want to go ahead and get started with our interview so that our audience can um, learn learn more about you. Okay, so our first question is Wednesday, March 18th, 1992 was an entirely chaotic and stressful day. Can you tell us a little bit about what you call in the book the beginning of
1: the end? Um, yes. Well, that day, actually, I had so much going on in my life. And that day I was uh, preparing to sell my house, uh, my condo, and I was moving into uh, my future husband's home. We were getting married in two weeks. and. Um, it was, it, it was, I was excited. I was, uh, everything was going good in my life. I had two daughters. Both of them were happy that I was getting remarried. And they loved uh, uh, my future husband. I'll just call him Denny. That's, you know, his name. And um, he's a, he's, a, he's in the book a lot. I'll tell you, that man was like, i I wound up calling him my bandaid if I hadn't have had him i i I don't know if I would have had the strength to survive, and I really found out I'll just make a point here that it's so important so so very important that you reach out and anyone that's in your family that you're close to a friend during a tragedy. the first thing you do is you go and you seek out help you seek out someone that you could. Be with and, and lean on—that's so important. But that day was—it was just the, the last time I talked to my daughter Paula, and that's why you know I—I I, um, referred it as being so tragic because I never I never talked to her again, and it was the beginning of my hell, my hell, and I had to. Uh, I had to be strong, and I had no idea that evening was the last time I talked with her that I had no idea that, you know, I would never be able to hear her voice again. And so uh, that was the beginning of my change, beginning of my new life for me. Okay, and then how did you feel? When you got the call
0: from the hospital and the doctor said Paula had been admitted to the ER early
1: in the morning at 2 a.m. Yeah, that was, uh, I got the telephone call at about, I think it was like around 8 o'clock, 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning, and... Uh, the first thing, I, this this man on the telephone, he was very cool, very nonchalant. It was like it was almost like a, a robot just asked to, to speak with Carol. Um, I wasn't Slousky yet, so I, I wasn't married yet, so he, with my uh, my my name, and I said, "This is she," and and he just. Went right into it, right into what happened. He said, your daughter's been admitted to the emergency room and, um, she's had a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot that was in the mm-hmm. lungs and got, and that she was in the ICU and was in critical condition. And she, he advised, you know, asked me if, if I could get there to the hospital. And I said, I was, I was a robot when he talked to me. I heard what he said, but it was like I was living a dream. It was, it was just like I listened to his voice, and it was like what he was saying was registering, but it was like beyond belief, just beyond belief. And he made it very quick. He gave me a few details. He, I remember he did say to me that um, she went into uh, a coma, and now we have her on equipment, and she is um, mm-hmm. uh, not, she's on the critical list. And if she survives, this is what he told me on the telephone, if she survives, mm-hmm. she has first of all a 5% chance that she will make it through this. And if she survives, she will have ninety-five percent chance that she will be very, very. Um, what's what's the word that I want to use? Uh, well, she she will not be. You know, she'll have brain damage, a lot of brain damage. So I I just listened, just listened. So he hung up mm-hmm. the phone on me, and um, to make a long story short, you know I. I got to the hospital, and I had um, my future husband, Danny, take me, and I go and, you know, I really kind of like uh, go with a step through when I write the book. I wanted my audience to understand a little bit more of the detail about how I felt and how I even felt about getting to the hospital. Can you believe that at the beginning I didn't want anybody to drive me? I was going to get into the car myself and drive. That is how yeah. numb I was to think that with that on my plate that I would drive, you know, for about maybe 20 miles to get to a hospital. By myself. Well, anyway, it wound up that my husband, my sonny, did take me. And when um, we got to the hospital, I went to the ICU. I found that the, the, um, the lady that was sitting at the desk in the ICU was very cool, very professional, and she asked me to have a seat. I told her who I was. She asked me to have a seat. I remember that the waiting room was filled with a lot of people. And I I remember saying to her, no, I won't sit down. I want to see my daughter. I want to see my daughter now. And she just said again, please have a seat. And I got louder. I want to see my daughter now. She quickly picked up the phone, and before you knew it, I had someone come out to the waiting room and escorted me and Jenny into the ICU room where my daughter was. When I got in there, she was in a bed. She was filled with equipment, loaded with equipment, just like you would see on TV in 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 the emergency room program, just equipment all over, and there she was. I walked up to her, and her eyes were half open. They were dilated. She was breathing. Via the equipment, her chest was going up and down, up and down, and so that was that was the beginning. I mean, that was the, of course the beginning of my nightmare. Yes.
0: And then, um, how did you deal with the guilt of not going to her house the evening before when you talked to Paula?
1: Well, you know, I didn't, of course, at that moment or even probably that whole day, have any, feel any guilt. It was when I got home at the end of the day in that evening that my mind started working and I started thinking and I was thinking, well, she called me the night before. She said she wasn't feeling well. Um, She was 24 years old. She wasn't a baby. She was, you know, a young adult. And um, I did oversee, you know, um, she did have medical problems, so I was always there for her. And I told her, I said, if you have any problems, either call me or go to the emergency room. Well, she chose to go to the emergency room. And so when I was home thinking about everything that happened that day and thinking about my daughter and ICU on the critical list, With a flat line, she had, she, they had on the monitor, it was flat line. I said, oh my gosh, what, why didn't I go and pick her up and take her myself to the hospital? I still think that that is a a parent's first reaction to an emergency or to some bad news is that you want to blame yourself. You know, you say, what could I have done? Because we have that. Parental instinct in us to do anything and everything we can for our children um, and that's that's what was going on in my head yeah i was I was feeling guilt, yes, and then mentally
0: and emotionally, you were very quiet, tired, and heartbroken. You kept your emotions, thoughts, and feelings under control in front of everyone else around you. Internally, how were you really feeling?
1: well that 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 really was unbelievable to me that how I could do that. I was numb, and I was sick inside, but yet, I showed it was like I was acting normal to other people. You know it was like I was holding everything inside of me until I got alone and, and that's when I broke down and cried it, it i call it I call it a shock. it was a shock that I was in, and I never ever experienced anything like that and I have to be honest, camille, I never experienced anything like that since then and i hope I hope I never will. <sighs>
0: And then how was the decision process of letting Paula off the life support system?
1: Well, according to, this is the way what I understood at the time. Um, Once they put you on life support, according to the state of Illinois, what was told to me is that you have 48 hours. They have to have her on, the, the patient on for 48 hours. So I had to sit there with her. In the ICU um, for for 48 hours, I had to witness, witness this condition, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you viewers, that I did not feel her soul. I sat there, and I did not feel she felt like an empty vessel to me. I knew she was deceased, I've been around other people that have died. My father, he passed away. And, you know, it was like I just knew. I didn't feel her soul anywhere. It wasn't there in her body. It wasn't anywhere around me. And I even said to Jenny, I said, I I just, I, I can't believe this. I don't feel. It's just like she's an empty vessel. And He, you know, he agreed. I mean, several of the people that are close to me that came to the hospital during those 48 hours, they also said basically the same thing. It was just like she was just a vessel that they were pumping air into. And then um, after the service
0: and everything that immediately followed, after her passing or transition
1: how were the first couple of months for you of course a couple of months is nothing for healing it's just it's just nothing it's like seconds i was just so sick so emotionally devastated so emotionally it's still in shock. You know, this loss is so traumatic that it's like it, you don't even want to try to explain it because that's how much it hurts. And what what I am trying to do is to reach out to a lot of people that haven't uh, – thank God they haven't – Moms and dads out there that haven't experienced this, thank goodness, and I hope you never do. But I, what I'm trying to express as I write in my book, that it hurts so bad that you can't, no one can understand it unless they went through it. And that's, that's something in talking to other parents for over the course of 30 years, they agree with me the parents who have lost a child, they say the same thing, that the only ones who really understand are the ones who are in the same similar situation as them where they lost a child. And I do go into detail on all of that from my experience of what I went through, the steps I had to take, the understanding. And Camille, I will say this. And I mean it them, from the very, very bottom of my heart. If I did not have God in my life, I would not be, I would not be here today. I would not, I, w- I just wouldn't be. And God got me through my faith. I changed after my daughter died. I thought I believed in God before then. Let me tell you something. I hung on so strongly to my faith and to pray to, work, to get through this, to stronger, lead me. I would ask, I would talk to God to lead me, to please, please lead me. Tell me what I need to do to survive. Tell me how to, how to be. And without that, I don't know, I, I just can't imagine, to me it wouldn't be worth living without God and then um,
0: you, you just kind of touched on this question but when did you realize that
1: healing was possible healing came in very very short spurts and I recognized the healing process when I would have a moment of happiness just a moment it was like it, it could be some place that I was at, um, seeing a rainbow, for example, because I would relate to the rainbow as something that, that Paula brought to my attention when she was alive. There's a story in the book that I talk about involving a, a kitten that she wanted me to, to take in and, and, and raise, because she she was a little girl then, and Bootsy is the the cat's name and he lived he lived for a long time I think he lived 16, 18 years but there's a story about the rainbow comes into play so when I started seeing rainbow a rainbow in the sky and I got a, a glimmer of hope I got a glimmer of happiness that is the beginning of healing I didn't know it at the time but I had all those years you know the meal 30 years is a long time It's a long, long time. And looking back, I see that this did not happen overnight, my healing. Um, Am I healed right now? You never, ever really totally get 100%. But I'm going to be honest. Yes, I'm happy. I have a lot to live for. Um, I thank God that he helped me get through. I had I had a lot of illnesses, a lot of sicknesses. I had surgery several times, major surgeries. I got I wound up getting cardiomyopathy, which is the heart disease. And um I I really blame that to, to a broken heart because they couldn't find out why I got it. So it was not a schemic is what it's called when they don't know why you got this heart disease. Well I asked my, heart, my cardiologist, I said, do you think it's because I have a broken heart? And this is like 20 years later, or 15, 20 years later, I wind up with cardiomyopathy. And he said, it's possible. There's many, many documents stating that, that broken heart syndrome is, you know, it is uh, one of the reasons for heart disease. So, But I had a lot to deal with with my health over the course of 30 years. So there is so much that went into play but as time went by and as felt the holy spirit at one point tell me of ways that I should heal I could heal I had to use I had to use myself as a vehicle to make myself happy I love art I love to paint um So I went back and started painting again. And this is, you know, right away I did that. I did that within the first year after she died. I started painting. And that was really, really like therapy for me. But there's like one thing after another that I write about as far as what what I had to do to survive. And every time I got just a little glimmer of hope, a little glimmer of happiness, that was, a little bit of healing I had because I started thinking of other things. It wasn't all about Paula. I had another daughter, and I loved her. She was she supported me. She was a backbone to me. And I said, you know, I've I've got another child, and this mm-hmm. is another important thing that you have to do to survive. You have to put yourself into your other children if you if you have them. Thank god if you do have other children, thank God, get on your hands and knees and thank the Lord that you've got these children. Put yourself into them and put yourself into your your husband, into your uh if you don't have a husband then someone that's close to you, but you must have a good support team behind you. It helps. Yes, and then I have um
0: just two more questions. Uh, when did you decide you were going to write the book and why name it 30? And then knowing that you're Christian, excuse me, knowing your Christian God and that the Holy Spirit is for real, do you think you will see Paulo again in heaven?
1: Well, I'm going to start with that last question. Do I think, yes, yes. I do. Yeah, I, I really, I believe in heaven. And I've had experiences in my, uh, the last 30 years that, that just, oh, it, it confirms my, my faith in heaven. And I choose to believe that. I, I think it's, you, I, I'm having a better life believing, but not believing in God in mm-hmm. heaven. And, and my mentor, I have a mentor through all of this and, and uh, that's the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I think, uh, she's played a big role. In my healing process, because I've been able to pray to her, to to please go to her son and ask him to help me, and it's through the Holy Rosary. I pray, I right now, I've, I've been praying the Holy Rosary every day. It's become a habit to me, and I, I choose not to miss it, because I know that when I pray um, the Holy Rosary, if something goes wrong the next day, I could say, well, wait a minute, I said my rosary, so... Things will work out for me. And a lot of a lot of the healing is, is based on your habits, on what you do. If you choose some good things to do, um, get rest on your soul and, and you will get stronger. Camille, what was the first question? I think no, I went okay. off the topic. Here. <laughs> okay. I think I went off then, the topic.
0: <laughs> no, no, you're right on topic. It's okay. And yeah. then when did you decide you were going to write the book? And why name okay.
1: it Thirty? All right. When, well, I, first of all, I never thought I'd ever write a book. And I still can't yes. believe I wrote a book, and and I don't think I'll ever write another book. But <laughs> yes. saying saying that, um, I would probably maybe ten years ago, ten years ago, I thought you know, someday I'm going to write a book about about Paula, but mm. I wound up not writing about Paula. I wound up writing about my survival because as every year went by, I found that to be more and more important to other people. And um, it's, it's that the stepping stones that I had to go through to survive this, if I could pass that on and somebody will, will listen to me and I could save their life or make them happy, I'm I'm going to say thank goodness I, I, I was able to write this book. So that's um then I moved to, to Florida a year and a half ago and we have a lanai out here because it is Florida. I sat there one day and I said, you know what? I'm retired. I'm, I'm 78 years old. I just had a birthday, December 29th. So I was mm-hmm. sitting out in my, in my lanai. And say, geez, this is so beautiful out here. I'm gonna write a book. I said, I put my paintbrush down and I was still painting. I thought I'm gonna quit painting. I took a sabbatical. I've been writing this book for sixteen months and I can't begin to tell you that every every day that I wrote my mind would open up more and more and I would get up the next day and, and go to the my little office and I would read what I wrote, and I would say, oh, is that beautiful? It you know, almost makes me want to cry now because I'd say, how did I come up with that? Mm-hmm. How did I think of that? Yeah. And it's so yeah. beautiful. I even started writing <laughs> some poetry in there in between my paragraphs, and I just, I don't know, I just, it was one moment after another that was beautiful. And I do believe that writing my book for me was part of my healing. It's almost like I'm not going to say the grand finale of my healing because I'll be healing till the day I die. And, yeah. um, But I think it's made me, again, a stronger person. Yeah. Carol,
0: I want to thank you so much for being my guest. And I am um, deeply sorry for your loss I, I thought your interview is very important and um, so many of us experience loss including my own mother who um, well my sister passed and so um, about two days from now actually and so I thought um, that been for all people who have experienced a loved one, and yes in particular, a child that has transitioned uh, I feel that your uh story, your book, and your message is one of healing and um i just i just uh, i have no role like a whole lot to say um except again, thank you so very much um for your hopeful message and um I'm going to say I have to say goodbye for now, Carol. Also, lastly, so I doing thank something. You. Uh, thank you so much, and also, oh, uh, you. your art is beautiful. Your cover art on the book—it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I bought I, it, so I'm still reading
1: it. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, You're and um, that—that's a real eagle here in Naples, Florida, that I found okay. on Facebook from a photographer. Yes. So. I got his permission to paint it, and uh, that's that's the eagle that swoops down and picks up Paula Sola. Yeah, yes. I got a poem that
0: goes with it. Yes, I know. I read it, and then I I looked at the cover and I said, my God, he captured this uh, this um, imagery perfectly as mm-hmm. an image because I'm an artist. I'm an artist also. Oh, you are
1: too, yeah. it's, uh, yeah
0: yes yes and so um again thank you so very much carol you're welcome and uh, thank you and i okay bye for now god bless you bye-bye god bless you too bye-bye thank you bye bye everyone thank you oh uh the name of carol slosky's book um did i put it i hope i put it in here See, 30 i think it's called 30 And what I'll do is I will uh, put the link, it looks like I didn't put it in the description, okay, for the listeners. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Right? Bye for now.
1: Douglas is one of many who found a new life through Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. I was living on the streets when I heard this guy talk about how he got clean and sober at the mission. So I decided to give it a try. I could feel something working inside of me and I knew I was getting better. Today, my number one goal is to stay clean and sober.
0: And grace will lead. To more, volunteer, or donate, visit UGM.org.
1: It's easy to lose sleep when you're worried about your health insurance plan. But when you have a family counting on you to take care of them, having the right coverage is more important than ever. That's why Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield is here to help. With low-to-no-cost plans for you and your family, so you never go it alone. That's our anthem. Click to learn more.